we're going to begin a study today on the attributes of God. And so we're going to primarily be in Romans 11, if you want to turn there. Um, A couple of things I need to say. We just came off of a series on what we call the five solas of the Reformation, where we went through uh, how salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, through the glory of God alone, as revealed by the authority of Scripture alone. And we just kind of one by one went through and talked about how Scripture is our authority. Uh, We talked about how salvation is by grace and through faith, and that we don't earn it, we don't work for it. It's God's good gift to us. And as you guys know, in our house churches, we do chapter-by-chapter studies of God's Word. And that allows us to do some pretty significant theological study. But at first Sunday, because we're only gathering as a group like this once a month, I kind of like taking a doctrine and clearly teaching it so that we're kind of ground. It also means that I don't have to try to match up wherever every house church is in what particular chapter, because that proves to be kind of difficult. So today, though, we're going to study the attributes of God. And before we jump into it, uh, we're not going to do all of the attributes of God yet today. We're going to just begin this study where one by one, we're going to go through and learn about what God has revealed about himself. So can I ask, why is this important? Why is it important that we study the attributes of God? Any thoughts? Why, is, why does it matter that we study God's attributes? Yeah, Bob. To know who he is. Know who he is, right? We do exist for his glory. We want to know him. In fact, Jesus says when we worship, we're supposed to worship in spirit and in truth. And so we want to make sure that when we're worshiping God, we are worshiping as he is, as he has revealed himself. Um, So that's good. Why else is it valuable to study God and his attributes? Yeah. Yeah. My faith is built, man. That's really good. There's comfort in that. Um, How interesting, I always point this out as an apologist, that when Job was going through the worst time in his life and he'd suffered so intensely, God does not show up and say, hey, Job, here's why I'm allowing you to suffer. There's this whole thing going on. It's, It's because Satan said this thing and I'm proving who I am and your faith in me and all this. He doesn't explain that. Instead, he asks rhetorical questions of Job to remind him who he is. God not only receives glory, but great comfort is brought to us in knowing who he is. Uh, Another great value in this is we have a tendency to lower our view of God unintentionally at times, where we're lowering him to what seems easier to understand. And we always have to go back to God has revealed himself as he is, and we want to step back and say, God, if this is who you say you are, I trust you. And I have noticed, especially in a culture that is considered post-truth, where we tend to believe things based on what we feel about them rather than what they are, there tends to be theological drift away from an accurate view of God. And so what we're doing is we're going to jump in and we're going to study God's attributes as he has revealed them. Cool? So I'm going to pray. Oh, yeah, Keith. This is true. Yeah. 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 Well, and because this is a very good point, because there are many times where in discussing with a Mormon or Jehovah's Witness, they will use language that sure sounds a lot like the things we believe. But then when you dig in and you understand what they actually believe about God, they have a completely different definition that is not in accordance with God's self-revelation. Cool. All right. So let me pray and we're going to dig into this a little bit. 
Uh, so, Father, thank you, first of all, that we don't have to guess about who you are, that you have revealed yourself in so much as, uh, as we need to know. Uh, Lord, and as you have revealed yourself, what we are clearly seeing is that you are far beyond human comprehension. So, Father, in this time, would you receive glory by your Holy Spirit, illuminate the Word of God to us that we would understand clearly what you have said about yourself? Then, Lord, in ways in which our view is wrong, Lord, may we repent and believe the truth. And in ways in which we have understood correctly, may we simply worship you. So, God, deepen our faith today, receive glory, illuminate the Word of God, and anoint me as I speak that it would be according to your will and nothing more, nothing less. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. So, as we're jumping in, two things that just we're setting the stage a little bit. Um, when we're discussing God's attributes, they fall into two categories. We have the communicable attributes of God and the incommunicable attributes of God. And when we say communicable, we're talking about things that, that are true of God and that in humans, as being created in the image of God, we have some finite, meager reflection of that. So if we say that God is wise, well, there is such a thing as wisdom that humans have. It is in on a meager, weak, finite sense, but we are reflecting God's image in some way through wisdom. If we say that God is a person, which he is, when we talk about that, it is a communicable attribute because we are persons, we are people, and that we can understand a little bit about God. He has given us some reflection in humanity. That's a communicable attribute. But when we talk about, as we're going to today, God's immutability, that's an incommunicable attribute. God's immutability refers to how he doesn't change ever. He is outside of space and time. He is absolutely perfect. There is no human parallel to that. We don't have immutability. We're, we're changing all the time. We're, we're aging. We're maturing. We're learning things. We're forgetting things. We're maybe getting better at some things in times and lesser at other things. We do foolish things at times. We're, we're not immutable by any means, whereas God is immutable. That is an incommunicable attribute. Making sense? Just drawing this parallel for several reasons, not the least of which is that we tend to kind of tilt theology a little bit. You'll hear somebody say, like, well, we're created in the image of God, and so I'm just going to look at who I am, and then I'll know something about God. Well, that doesn't exactly work, because i got a lot of things that are wrong, and I'm subject to the fall. I can't reverse that, right? I can't say that, well, since this thing is true of me, it must be true of God. That is really bad, right? But I can say that I'm created in God's image, and in a finite, meager, and fallen way, I'm reflecting him. But there's a whole bunch of things that are completely wholly other about God. Making sense? Cool. So I'm just going to read these off really quick. We're not going to study all of these today. I'm just giving you a frame of reference. When we talk about God's incommunicable attributes, we're referring to his aseity, one of those, that, that would be his, the idea that God is completely without or, origin. He has always been for all eternity. And that he doesn't need anything. He doesn't depend on any outside source. He is the source of all things. Aseity. You don't have to remember that name or that word. You just know that this is true of God. Immutability, we already mentioned that God is completely perfect and unchanging, though he is alive. We're going to talk more about this in a minute. God's unity, he's utterly perfectly unified. You can't divide God up into pieces and say, well, here, this thing is kind of a little bit of God, and this is a little bit of God, and when he comes together, now it's God. It's not how it works. God is one, right? 
God is infinite. He has no limitations save for self-limitations. Little important side note on this. I know we're not into the bulk of our study yet, but when we talk about God being infinite, every now and then people are like, well, God's all powerful. Why can't he sin? Well, that's, that's ridiculous because there is nothing outside of God limiting his ability, but God can't sin because of his self-limitation. Make sense? Because he is also perfectly righteous and good. Cool? Understands the things about God. Those are basic incommunicable attributes. We could break down details beneath that, but we're trying to give you a broad overview. When we talk about God's communicable attributes, we would talk about his spirituality, that God is spirit. He is the source of life. Now, we know that as humans, we have a spirit, right? Very important thing to know. We're reflecting something about God when we recognize our spirituality. But God, in an infinite sense, he is spiritual. God has intellect. He is omniscient, that means all-knowing, and he's omnisapient, that means he is all-wise. He is all-truthful, he's always true. This is our concept of veracity. Can we understand there are things about humans, we can do things that are true, and we can have some intellect. God has it at an infinite degree. Cool? Morality, God is, refers to his goodness and his holiness and his righteousness. His sovereignty refers to his sovereign will and power and omnipotence. Everybody with me? Those are the communicable attributes, right? This is just an introduction because right now we're going to jump in and talk about God's aseity. And I, I would imagine that some of us right now are saying like, wow, Dan, we're using some big terms and, or maybe some, aseity is a short term, but it's not a very familiar term. And I'll just confess that I recognize in a lot of churches and a lot of teaching, it's very tempting to talk about like how-to stuff, like how to have better relationships based on the Bible, or how to be happy, or how to whatever. We're going a completely different direction with this. Um, I don't do those kind of sermons very often anyway, but we're going doing a completely different direction by this. What we're going to do is study God in these infinite things in hopes that we will respond in worship and faith. Cool? So aseity. This refers to the fact that God is utterly independent. He is without origin. He is the originator of all things. There was no other God before that created this God. There is no outside being that gives anything to God that he needs. He, he, he is the source of all things, and he has no source outside of himself. Simple as that. Can I just ask really quickly, before we go any further... Are there any other views that this would refute? If God has no source outside of himself, is he, if he is the ultimate source of all things and doesn't need anything from anybody, what kind of an idea would this maybe refute or a false view of God that this might refute? Any thoughts? That, that, that God was created. Refutes any idea that God is created or that there was some other God before him completely refutes the Mormon idea that God is just in an infinite lineage of gods and that somehow he was once a human. All that's gone. Doesn't fit, as we'll see. Anything else? How about just at a practical human level? What does this say about my relationship with God? If God does not need anything, what does this say about my relationship with him? He doesn't need us. It is by his good pleasure that he is in relationship with us, he does not need us, right? He's just chosen to create us and be in relationship with him just because he wants to. Yeah, Keith. Yeah, I mean, if we just, if we talk about that, we just really stop and really think about it. You are created by a being. You don't control 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just like, when you really start to think about that, it's like, uh, yeah. because we think a lot of times we're in control and we're calling the shots. And, and yet we absolutely are not. Person, yeah. You know, like, I guess yeah. when you have, when you have, uh, health issues where it's almost like you're going to go over and you're really going, Yep. So let me jump in. I have already gone far too long without approaching God's Word uh, and setting all this up. I, I don't like going very long without getting into Scripture. So here we are. We're jumping into Romans 11. We're going to begin in 33 through 36. I'm going to set context here because what's happening in Romans 11 is... Paul has been talking about the mystery of Israel's salvation. And he's gotten into all this stuff and what God has done and his plan and his, his sovereign decree. And he gets so overwhelmed that he begins to worship and communicate something about God's nature. So Romans 11, verse 33 through 36, he says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Or who has given to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Understand that as he's talking about what God has done in saving Israel, what his plan is, he says, Oh, the depth in the, of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. And he mentions that his ways are unsearchable and his judgments are inscrutable. That means you can't scrutinize the judgments of God. That there's no way for you to search out what he's doing and why. He's just simply beyond us. He is wholly other. He goes on to say, For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? He's asking rhetorically because the answer is no one. Nobody offers counsel to God. I don't go to God and say like, hey, you know, I've had this experience and I've got this wisdom. I'm going to help you out a little bit. He doesn't need my counsel because he is his own counselor. And from eternity, he has been perfectly without origin. He already knows everything. There's no counsel that I can give God. There is no wisdom that I can give God. He's simply beyond it all goes on to say, or who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? I don't give anything to God that he didn't already give to me, right? The very breath in my lungs with which I praise him is from him. I don't give anything to God that he doesn't already own. So let me, maybe, maybe it's worth just reflecting on this a minute. Is it easy at times, as I think about God and who He is, that in my humanity, in my frailty, in my fear, that I might just maybe forget this truth? That I might think somehow, like, what if God missed something? Have we ever had this experience? Where we're like, well, what, what if? What if maybe God isn't thinking of me and my needs in this? What if, what if I, what if maybe I just... God made this decision and God wasn't ready for that. Do we ever have that like little bit of doubt? Yeah? Maybe? No? Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully we can just simply look back on who God is. That I don't allow that trail of thinking to continue. Yeah, Bob? Um, I think this probably stems from a lot of
think in our flesh, you know, crossing the line saying, well, you know, hey, I've got to be God's church police. And it's kind of, you know, hmm. you know, correct everything or, you know, or just, you know, well, I, I guess my like Bible thumping. Okay. And I think that stems from just, you know, that, that, that nature that, you know, God, you know, God established his church, the gates of hell will not fell against it. And, yeah. you know, I mean, you know, we can, you know, we, we can point out false teaching and things like that, but, you know, I, I think when we become the, you know, the spirit, the, the God police, and we start taking on, you know, things that God, God will do himself. Yeah. We're assuming at times that, that he needs our help. Now, he requires our obedience. He's asking for our obedience and faith. But even that is something that he is providing to us as we respond in obedience. We don't have to stress about whether or not God will accomplish his plan. He doesn't need our help. He asks for our obedience. And that's, that's good. It just becomes selfish when we interject ourselves in last little verse here in verse 36 where it says for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever amen understand that like what what he's getting at is because God is the source of all things and has no source of it uh, beyond himself he is it that he deserves all the glory for everything forever right keep this in mind that means that Everything, everything is for God's glory. Cool? All right, reading on. Another key passage related to God's aseity is Psalm 36.9, where it says, For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we do see life. This is just another reference to the fact that everything is coming from God. Cool? All right, so I know I've, I've we've taken some time to talk about aseity, and this gets a little complicated. Can I get somebody to just paraphrase? What does it mean when we speak of God's aseity? Can somebody paraphrase this for me? Regular terms. What does it mean? Can somebody give me a very brief, like, all right, in basic terms, this is what it means. He is self-sufficient. That's pretty good. That God doesn't need me. And yet he chooses to love me. comfort in knowing who God is as he has revealed himself. So let's cover one more attribute of God before we finish out today. Uh, We're going to discuss immutability. Um, And recognize another theological term. This is the understanding of God as being utterly perfect, that he is not subject to change in his essence, though he is dynamic. I need to set up a little side note. By the way, we're going to be in Malachi 3 primarily as we discuss this. Um, when we talk about God's immutability and that he is unchanging and yet he is living, this is a little bit hard for most of us to comprehend because most of the time we think of a living thing as something that is under constant change, right? We think of, I am alive and so I'm aging, right? I think I'm changing and I'm learning over time. Understand that God created space and time. Thus, he is completely outside of them. 
God is not subject to the passing of time like we are. He's simply outside of it. And so sometimes we get this understanding of God and we think that he's, he's just been around a really long time. What's more than that? He's outside of time. He made time. Worship leading, coming along. It's good. Um, so immutability of God. We're going to look at Malachi 3, 6, where it says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children, are not consumed. Now, God, in speaking about the sin of his people, says, Guess what? Since I don't change, that's good news for you. Otherwise, I might just destroy you one day. All right, God is reminding them that he's sparing them because of his unchanging nature. God didn't learn something new about the children of Israel and say, oh no, these people, I can't believe that they're doing this now. In his eternal decree, he already knew everything. They were, he didn't learn something new. He already knew how they were going to behave, and he had a plan. And he responded based on who he is, not on what they did. Cool? So reading on, James 1.17 is in reference to temptation. And in reference to temptation, James is writing and saying, like, hey, don't be deceived here. God is not mocked. He says in verse uh, 17, or I'm sorry, yeah, 17, it says, Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He's saying, hey, God doesn't change. And I recognize that the temptation, essentially in temptation, what's happening is we're seeing something that looks like a good gift. But hey, Sin does not lead to God's good gifts. God, good, God has good gifts that he is unchanging related to, and if it's a good gift, it's coming from him. And so if you think that you're going to get something good outside of God, you will not. And James, in communicating about why we shouldn't be deceived and fall into temptation, he's saying, guys, God doesn't change. All these good gifts are from him. It's okay. Trust in him. Don't fall into the temptation. He's going to make sure that you get all the good gifts you need because he doesn't change. Right? It's not like somebody made up some new good gift and that you can only get it from sinning. No, the good gifts, every last one of them are from him and he doesn't change. Cool? Last thing, we're going to look here at Hebrews 6, 17 and 18. Because this is in reference to God's promise. A little side note, it seems that nearly every time God's immutability is referenced in Scripture, it has something to do with Him fulfilling His promises or giving us gifts. I'm not a prosperity preacher by any means, but I think it's really interesting that God wants to comfort us and remind us that, like, hey, guess what? I don't change, so I keep my promises. God's saying, I don't change, and I have good gifts for you. Trust me. Right? So in Hebrews 6, 17 and 18, it says, So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So understanding that God's making a promise, but then he also guaranteed it with an oath. Reference to how God can't swear by anybody bigger than himself, so he swears by his own nature. And it says, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. The understanding that God made a promise related to rescuing us. And then in addition to that promise, he makes an oath. Both of those things are bound to the unchanging nature of who God is. And thus we're comforted and encouraged that like God made a promise in salvation. And God doesn't just one day say like, well, 
you sin more than I thought you would. Or, oh, you sin too much, now I'm done with you. No, no, no. God made a promise for salvation, and then he guaranteed it with an oath. And in both of these things, in these two things, they're tied to his very nature, which is unchanging. You don't have to worry about God changing his mind or him getting all bent out of shape. He might get angry at your sin, but he is not going to change who he is. He will fill his promises in accordance with how he has revealed himself as an unchanging God. So, really quick then, can I, can I ask you, what does this do in your soul when we recognize that God has no source other than himself, that he is without origin, he has always been, and that is who he is, and he is the source of all life, and then on top of it, he is absolutely unchanging and immutable, and he mentions that unchangingness in relation to his good gifts, his promises, his judgment of sin? How, how does this make you feel, maybe? Or a better response, how do you respond? Right? Yeah. comfort in that, that if God is unchanging, even his good pleasure doesn't wear out. That he has joy in his children. He doesn't get tired of us because he doesn't get tired. Um, doesn't get tired of his creation. He gets angry at sin and pours out his wrath accordingly. But um, he doesn't just say, ah, oh, that one's old news. He loves us daily in his unchanging nature. Anything else? How else do we respond? Carol. what God's going to do. Yeah. 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 That to have all 
for God. Yep. Harry, you had something. Well, I think it's uh, it's kind of neat to take immutability and put it together kind of like this, particularly when it comes to, like, how do you reconcile the entire Scripture? If God is the same, man is the same, sin is the same, his need for salvation is the same, therefore salvation has been the same. God never changed the way he saves mankind. Then, then if you take that rationale, you're able to go back in the scriptures with different eyes and say, well, if it's the same, how is it the same? How do we see the language? Amen. Begin to really understand this immutable God that's been doing the same thing since Adam and Eve until the present. Then this whole idea of salvation starts opening up even further because we tend to think that salvation somehow is a New Testament thing with the advent of Christ on the cross. But actually, it's been the same thing. It's always been by, by faith. The same need yeah. for salvation. Mm-hmm. So understanding the doctrine, I think, really helps us to go back and say, now how does that apply to the Scripture? Mm-hmm. That's right on, brother. That's a good word. Because then it brings us back to salvation. That, man... In the same way that he saved Paul, the same way that he saved Abraham, he saved me. This is more on that in a second. Yeah. I was going to say, I think it, in our culture that's constantly trying to change and trying to, yeah. like the, the whole, the verse that says, like, um, there's nothing new under the sun. Like, I don't have to be afraid of some new scientific discovery or mm-hmm. you know, somebody's redefining gender or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. there's no fear in that for me yeah. because I know that God. is a good word. It's just a big that, that then I don't have to worry that, that somehow they're going to prove that there are um, multitudinous <laughs> genders, right? Because, no, 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 God has revealed male and female, and that's it. And I don't have to worry that somehow they're going to prove that God doesn't exist. He, he does. He's revealed himself. We're, we're not going to prove that somehow something is no longer sin that once was. God is unchanging. If he calls it sin, it's sin. Um, his word is not going to come back false because it's his word. It's in, eternal. When he spoke it, he know he knew everything. And so it is accurate and unchanging. Good word. Um, let me just finish out by this because we, I always want us to come back and recognize the gospel in its relation to whatever it is we're teaching. Hopefully when we look to God and we understand that he is immutable, he is unchanging, he is without origin, that then if I recognize that I have sinned against that holy God, I am, I'm in bad shape. And so I always want to review the basic narrative of the gospel is that God created us. He didn't need us, but he created us for his good pleasure. We sinned and separated ourselves from God. God in his goodness, part of his nature, by the way, God in his righteousness and his grace came to this world as Christ died to pay the penalty for our sin rose from the dead to give us new life, that our sin debt is paid in Christ. And just as it was with Abraham, just as it was with Isaac, just as it was with David, 
just as it was with Paul and Peter. I am saved by grace through faith when I repent of my sin and simply trust him to rescue me. Simple as that. Remember the gospel. And remember that God is not changing and that his gospel is always true. He's not going to change his mind one day and say like, oh, well, Darren, you're going to have to work a little bit for it now. No, no, no. It's by grace through faith always for all of eternity everywhere in the universe because it is directly tied to who God is and he doesn't change. Cool? So if you guys don't mind, we're gonna, I'm going to pray, but as we've said, we want to we respond in at least two ways, to worship and be comforted. Arguably that like repentance might be built into that if I have had some false view of God, that I'm, I'm confessing that and I'm rejecting that false view and saying, no, 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 this is God, this is who you say you are, so I trust you. Um, so could we take a moment? I am going to pray a prayer of praise and worship. Would you join in and and just reflect on God and who he is and offer him worship because that's who he is. And maybe be comforted. Maybe there is something that's, that's stressful, that there's some worry. Remember who God is. Uh, there are days where I'm like, ah, how are we going to make it through this thing? And I'm like, well, if he has brought us through every time, all of these years, and even beyond that, from the beginning of time, he keeps rescuing his children. I'm pretty sure he's got this because he doesn't change. So let's take some time and worship the Lord. And then we, I've got a couple of announcements and we're going to pray for the Nicaragua team. Cool? Um, Father, as I pray and, and as I've spoken, Lord, everything seems too meager for who you are. I feel like I'm speaking what is true about you. And yet it's true to some infinite degree that we can't even fully comprehend, let alone have words big enough for it. So Lord, take our meager worship as we acknowledge who you are, as you have revealed yourself, and God, just receive glory. You are without origin. You, we can't even understand that because it's just beyond anything that we've ever known. You're without origin. You're the source of all life and all things. Lord, receive glory for that. God, you never change. You don't learn anything new. You, you know everything that ever has been or ever will be. You're outside of space and time, and then yet choose to condescend to reveal yourself to us. Lord, it's just beyond what we can comprehend. Lord, even as I speak now, I just, I can't respond with enough thanksgiving and with enough worship. So God, receive our meager worship. You are holy. You're completely other. And Lord, you have chosen by your good pleasure to love us and rescue us, to save us. And so Lord, may we simply abide in Christ. May you receive glory in all of this. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.